This is Radical Love Life, an ongoing series of podcasts and special events where we explore faith outside the boxes. Hosted by Mark Dilcom and Kelly Wilson. So, hey, Kelly. Hey, Mark. How are you? I am freaking awesome, as always. How are you? I'm good. Good, good. Glad to hear it. Um, So, Kelly, uh, what were we doing uh, this past weekend? Uh, Well, last weekend, we were out at Drew University at the God After Deconstruction event with uh, Trip Fuller and Thomas Ord and uh, a bunch of other theologians and people interested in theology. Yeah, Um, it was was a pretty cool time, wasn't it? Radical Love Live is one of the uh, podcast sponsors of the event. We were, along with a couple others, and it was a, I feel like it was a great privilege to actually not only meet a couple of other podcasters who are in the space about deconstruction, and it feels very, very much like home to me on what we do with Radical Love Live. The other thing that was a nice ask was uh, you and I were on a panel as well, weren't we? Yes, it was the two of us. And a couple of other podcasters, uh, Trip Fuller from uh, Homebrewed Christianity, uh, moderated, uh, and it was you and I, and uh, Tim Whitaker from uh, The New Evangelicals, and Josh Patterson from Rethinking Faith. And the topic of the discussion was somewhere around the idea, the question of whether online spaces where we're talking about religion are sort of taking the places of religious institutions like if we're almost like we're pastors of an online church or something like that actually kind of shocked me when i realized that that was the the, the framework or the approach that trip was taking in the conversation kind of blew me away a bit actually and, and then come to find out that yes indeed actually there are folks that listen to this podcast and to you know the others uh that you mentioned as well including like uh, what josh does with uh, rethinking uh, faith or what Tim does with this project as well. Yeah, I could see why people actually would find their faith inside of what we discuss. And I'm not sure I would say that we're a church or that we're pastors, but it's it's kind of like, you know, the difference between therapy and therapeutic. I look at us as being, you know, more on that therapeutic side where, you know, I don't know if there's a, a word for that. Maybe it's uh, astropeutic. <laughs> <laughs> Like posturpedic, um, <laughs> yeah. like a mattress. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, you know, I guess we do some pretty cool things. And you know, when I think back on you know our episodes, especially this past season that we just completed now, uh, and even when we first started, what we were doing, it was always about exploring faith outside of the boxes. I just never had really considered that, and it was really, it was really a great conversation. It was it very movie yeah yeah and it was it was interesting um hearing the the different motivations behind you know what sparked the the different podcasts and you know some of the conversation was very emotional and then some of it was very kind of real world gritty political i mean some of the stuff that we're talking about religion is so wrapped around the axle of politics in america that we really do have a responsibility to address it rather than just kind of be talking amongst ourselves. When we first started talking with uh, Trip Fuller about this, I was a little sort of either shy or humble about our, our impact, but he said, even if you have, you know, only a thousand listeners, like if that was a church, that'd be a pretty big 
community, you know, and that kind of opened my eyes. I had just never thought about our listeners being a congregation in that sense. And, and I don't think that they are, but we are a community. And oh, wow, okay, that it's it's very humbling. This is probably a good chance. This is going to sound like a marketing moment, but it's it's not exactly um, <laughs> that while we're having that conversation, we talked a little bit about whether we need to have a real forum for community. I mean, people already have the yes. ability to find us on social media and follow yeah. us and DM us there and email us. Uh, yeah. But what we did is we started a Facebook group so that uh, Radical Love Live listeners and supporters can get together and talk to us or talk to each other online. And it's a private group. So you yep. sign up and you get approved to be part of that group, but then listeners can talk amongst themselves in kind of a safe place to ask questions and test new ideas, um, get to know each other. I think even while we were discussing it at the event itself, it got after deconstruction. Uh, we had a few folks that signed up to be a part of our uh, private Facebook group. So I invite everybody listening to this that they do the same. And uh, sounds like I should uh, also put this on our website as well, let people know that we're doing this. Yeah, that was kind of cool that we got some um, some of the first joiners of the group were uh, we got to meet them right there in person. Uh, yeah. So that was um, that was pretty awesome. So, Kelly, we have a part of this uh, episode in which we're actually going to share the conversation from that time because you brought in some audio equipment and actually captured the uh, panel that we were on, correct? Yes, yes. Um, and uh, I hope our listeners will be very forgiving. This is the first trip out for this particular <laughs> set of, uh, of mobile equipment. Uh, it worked pretty well. Uh, you know, I had to take a couple of little um, pops and hisses out of there every once in a while. Like now I, I know the, the levels on the mixer, uh, but it sounded pretty good. It, you know, it captured the the essence of the conversation pretty well. So yeah, and this is kind of like a, a sampling of the the conversation. There's a, there's a little bit more of it a, a Q and A section that maybe we'll we'll make available to listeners on the uh, um, the Facebook group uh, later on. I think that's a great idea. So Kelly, anything else you want to add to this before we turn it over? You know, it's it's all audio. There isn't a video element, so I hope people can keep track of the voices. But it's like I said, it's Trip Fuller moderating, and it's. Uh, Mark and me and Tim Whitaker and Josh Patterson talking about our, our podcasts, our communities, the things we've learned, and why we do what we do. So folks, enjoy the episode. Uh, again, as Kelly was saying, please uh, follow us also on our Facebook uh, page. We've created the community page as well. So and as always, we appreciate uh, your support in our programming and, and uh, as we keep bringing uh, content like this uh, to you. So again, thank you very much. This should be fun. Uh, the goal is really. Why are you yelling? Because I'm away from the microphone. <laughs> Screaming. Uh, but the goal for the session is is really to have y'all share about what you've learned from the communities you've connected with. Uh, one of the one of the things that has happened, um, if you're like a theologian that gets invited to like minister gatherings is you hear clergy from different parts of the country or different traditions talk about what they're learning are like the questions or energy or challenges in, in their communities. Because clergy have this odd relationship with a bunch of people, 
and it's one where you get their questions and you see how people respond and engage. It's a, it's a way of kind of gauging the spiritual energy within different traditions. Um, as a growing number of people don't have the kind of more traditional local communities and find them in online spaces, I thought uh, it would be helpful and interesting and fun to hear what happens when y'all kind of attempt to voice the questions and themes connected that we're talking about from the learnings you've gained in the different communities. Maybe we begin there where you introduce yourself and the kind of online community connections, what the different avenues, platforms and such, and uh, say what you think would be going through the people you connect with regularly's mind if they heard the phrase, God after deconstruction. So my name is Josh Patterson. I started a podcast called Rethinking Faith a little over five years ago uh, with the intention of trying to demonstrate that theological conversations can happen between two people who disagree a lot. So I lean more processy, and my co-host Andy was like a Westminster Confession or bust kind of guy, hardcore Calvinist, and it worked for like 10 episodes, and then he called me a heretic and quit. Um, <laughs> so that, that's how it started. Thesis disproved. Yeah, it was disproved very quickly. So that's, that's what I learned, is that my buddy Andy is not willing to have conversations with people like me. The God after deconstruction thing, I don't know, it'd be hard. It would, it would depend on the person. There's you know, people in the rethinking faith space that the question of God is a live one. Like, I don't even know what the fuck I mean when I say God right now. So there's that aspect. The after is interesting because, you know, you can get the more philosophical types that critique it and be like, well, like, deconstruction is this ongoing process, you can't blah, blah, blah. But the after aspect, I think, for, like, less philosophically minded people is this, like, are you trying to police me or draw me back into something? And then the deconstruction bit, I think, is just kind of in the water right now. Like, it's a pop word, so I don't know. People are just asking about it. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. Uh, yeah, my name is Tim Whitaker. I started uh, an organization called the New Evangelicals. Um, started on social media, mainly on Instagram, and they grew very quickly. Uh, I started in December of 2020, and we became a nonprofit in September of 2021. I am pretty um, engaged with my community. Right now we have about 7,000 people in our private Facebook group. Um, we have about 92,000 followers on Instagram, and we have several thousand listen to our podcast, and they're very interactive. So I do respond to a lot of DMs. A good chunk of my day is in DMs, responding to messages, and kind of getting a pulse on what's happening, how people are, are feeling about this stuff. So yeah, so that's most of what I do. We make a lot of content with you know folks like Trip and do a lot of YouTube stuff. My read on things right now is I think a lot of people in the spaces I occupy and the work that we do are really hungry for a better way forward in their faith. Um, mm -hmm. Certainly people who deconstruct or, you know, words like renegotiate their faith or disentangle their faith are all valid ways of describing the same kind of process. Uh, but I tell people who don't really know about this work or folks who maybe are more conservative that the people I work with mostly are having a crisis of theology, not so much a crisis of faith. You know, they mm -hmm. still want to be in the belief world. They still have found themselves in the Christian house somewhere after coming up from the basement of fundamentalism, right? They're like, oh my God, this house is so massive. 
uh, where do I start? Mm-hmm. There are definitely people who deconstruct and they get, they're so messed up by fundamentalism that they want that front door, you know, for their own safety. I think it's a super valid journey. But our work deals with people who mainly want to find faith in a deeper, more compelling way that is more inclusive and that is focused on loving all of their neighbors, which of course then translates to resisting things like Christian nationalism and exposing that and, you know, just the detrimental level of militant evangelical fundamentalism that is right now what's happening in our country politically and and through all those systems. Mm -hmm. So, you know, for me, God after deconstruction is great. Like, yes, that'd be wonderful. (laughs) Um, And I think a lot of people, and it's always hard to know. This isn't like empirical. I don't have, you know, um, data on this. That's like scientifically proven. But the pulse I get is that the deconstruction explosion that happened online really was was heavy from like 2020 through like 2023. Mm-hmm. And I think it has cooled off a bit only because people who were part of that explosion have kind of sorted themselves out. You know, people who wanted to leave have kind of left faith or found a new house to occupy. The people that I'm working with, I think are hungry for, yeah, okay, I, I get it. I dismantled this thing. I kind of picked it apart. Really happy that I did that. The Bible's complicated. It's not inerrant. Great. Hell probably isn't what I think. Excellent. And now I have this vacuum and I need to fill it with something. And so what can I rebuild that is some kind of basis for finding meaning and beauty and being in touch with God and the divine, but also is more flexible now. So when I realize that maybe my current beliefs need to change, I'm not having a mental health crisis and panicking that my whole world is falling apart. So I think a lot of people are really hungry for thinking about these things in a more compelling way. Hey everybody, I'm Mark Delcom, one half of Radical Love Live. Kelly and I started this back in 2019. For me, my what I bring into this was the perspective that I wanted to, for folks who are not a part of our church community, Kelly and I happened to be a part of the same community in New York City at St. John the Divine where we saw and see amazing people in the pulpit and around there, these these incredible theologians and access to people that would come from, you know, the, the seminaries uh, right up the street, you know. And I thought, well, that's great because we're in this community, but folks who are not a part of our community should also hear these things. But uh, take it one step further, whoever we are engaged with in conversation, they, they can be ordained and they can be a theologian you know, and teach in seminary and all of that, but I want them to speak from their personal experience or their, or their own, you know, what they've written about. They're not there to preach, proselytize or anything else and, and, and take it out of the pulpit, as it were, because from my own personal experience, I was a fearful Christian for a lot of years that went agnostic that finally went to a very angry atheist. And that's because I'm queer myself, right? And so I flipped from being agnostic to just a cold hard atheist in the late 90s when we saw God and Jesus be used against me and anybody like me in that in our tribe. Like we were the cudgel, right? They were gonna they were gonna use us. And that's when I then learned to hate God, hate Jesus, and hate all that. Mm-hmm. Now, thankfully, I was able to deconstruct is the word I would use lightly. Like in 2012, I had something happen. It was not unlike what Bruce talked about earlier, where I was sitting in a contemplative meditation meeting and had an experience that opened me up to the divine at that moment. I felt it in total silence. Now, I had already meditated, but this was the first time, and I didn't know I was in a, in a contemplative meditation meeting. That's yeah. the thing. I, I did not know. I thought I was in a, just a plain old meditation meeting, and I felt the divine. 
And so immediately from that, it made me appreciate where, where my journey was about to go and that for some reason early on, I knew my call would be to share my experiences of what had happened, but also open the door of hope for others to see how they were gonna rebuild their own faith like I was about to go and I had no, no fucking idea how this is gonna happen. That was 11 years ago. So radical love love is a manifestation of all that. So it's to invite in people like that that are probably not engaged in these conversations at all inside of a community, but yet whether it's you or Tom Ord or anybody else or Jonathan Tamadil, you know, we've been really fortunate to have these amazing folks as part of our conversations. And it, it personally, it's, it deepens my faith, right? Because I get to hear it and process it and I get to hear from their point of view that is something I would never know otherwise. And, and, not, and I'm not knocking, you know, people that do deconstruction on YouTube. Their personal experience is great, but there's a, there's a level that comes from a theology when somebody's really thought about that that I wanna hear and it allows me to process that. And the other reason why I do this is because there's all of this, this wisdom sitting there inside these organizations and seminaries and things like that, that they wanna share this and they come from a beautiful place. So why not give them that outlet to do that through Radical Love Live? Mm-hmm. So. I'm Kelly Wilson. I'm the other half of Radical Love Live. And um, I, I think one of the interesting things about Radical Love Live and the sort of the community that we support there is that Mark and I overlap on some things and we disagree or challenge each other on some other things. And that's not something that you usually get in a community. You don't typically get like two pastors stand up there and one goes like, you know, it could be like this. And the other's like, well, really? It could be like that. And that dynamic tension, I think, mm-hmm. gives a certain depth to the conversations that we wouldn't get if it was just one voice. And we come from pretty different backgrounds. Very different. And I'm kind of surprised that some of the people that I hear from about Radical Love Live are different people than the people that I thought I was originally going to reach. Yeah. That I was originally looking for people that were like me, that I come from very conservative, evangelical, I'm another Nazarene, apparently Nazarenes are everywhere, um, (laughs) that uh, did a lot of study and I guess it would have been called deconstruction at the time. It was more called rebellion and backsliding and, um, you know, giving into the wisdom of the world and whatnot. You filthy Um, liberal. (laughs) And yeah, the Bible just kind of fell apart in my hands. And it was only then in studying the Bible that I started learning about the kingdom teachings and liberation theology and a lot of other things that kind of like brought Christianity back to life for me uh, and finding uh, you know a church environment in New York City that was that was even far more liberal and progressive than I was it gave me room to grow in that environment I was hoping hey we could attract a lot of other kind of like ex-evangelical deconstruction types who you know probably flee to places like New York City, specifically so that they can be themselves. Uh, But what I'm finding is that a lot of people who reach out to me directly about Radical Love Live are people who are not Christian, who never grew up Christian, Mm -hmm. who don't have all that baggage, who are like, huh, you know, I always thought Christians were a bunch of assholes. But like, (laughs) when I talk to you guys, you know, when I listen to you guys, I start to see why people would be attracted to it. And it's mm-hmm. it's people who just never gave Christianity a chance at all are looking at it going like, oh, okay, yeah, I guess if you guys had a church, I'd probably go to that one. No, that's yeah. really helpful. The next question, I want you all to answer it, but I, I really thought of it when 
Tim responded last night after, you know, we did the different reasons people deconstruct bit. Because you came up and you're like, well, yeah, in my community, there's like the holy trinity of deconstruction. You kind of unpacked it. And, and then when I talked to Josh, you know, there's some of these questions that are just kind of like the perennial questions, like evil, mm-hmm. the religious diversity, purpose, like every human being that's encountered evil asks a question. Like anyway, there's like some of those are perennial questions in philosophy of religion and religious traditions wrestled with them forever. And then there's the ones that like in 2016 or 2020 start triggering uh, people. And those are like very, like a match got lit. And I'm interested in like which of those show up and in what forms in the community that you're stewarding, relating and such. Uh, Because even the way you said it back to me differently, Tim made me go, oh, yeah, I get, I can see why that would feel different. Yeah, uh, it's the holy trinity of the bad things. Uh, bad theology, <laughs> bad politics, bad church. <laughs> Those are the three. That, I, and under that is all your little subdivisions. You know, like your, your Trump, rise of Trump, and then not even just the rise of Trump, but the embrace of the white evangelical psyche of just like going from initially like, oh, well, yeah, we get it, he's not great, but like maybe a few policies to like now, you know, this is our guy. This is who we fully support. Um, so there's that. And then there's also the fact that I think a lot of people are waking up to the reality that white evangelicals throughout history in America have been just continually on the wrong side of so many key issues that we were taught are like we were on the other side of. I was taught as a child in my conservative church that, yeah, like, you know, segregation is bad and racism is bad. And you realize that, you know, white evangelicals in the South were like some of the loudest proponents of maintaining segregation and Bob Jones, which is one of the homeschool curriculums that I was taught underneath of, was like a staunch segregationist who insisted that that the Bible was clear about keeping the races separate. And then if you didn't see it that way, you were just a liberal. And I'm like, wait a second, I've heard that language before. This doesn't add up. So you have have all that political stuff. Hmm. Then you have this really unhealthy theology of it's, it, again, these are really broad topics because evangelicalism is hard to define. Uh, Christine Dumez will tell you, like, it's it's a very slippery term. Isaac Sharp wrote the other evangelicals will tell you it's a slippery term. So it is broad in a sense, but also narrow. It's a r- weird paradox. So some people really grew up in this tradition of, like, you're a filthy, rotten sinner, and you've been predestined almost like, you know, to either heaven or hell. So you have the Calvinist tradition. You have the more charismatic tradition that comes across to people like me who were grew up really reformed that, oh, they're more liberal, but they're really not. They're just way more legalistic in some ways, but their church services are more, you know, eccentric, so they must be more <laughs> Music better. Exactly. Uh, so you have this unhealthy theology of like, um, you can't trust yourself, can't trust how you feel, can't trust anything about you because your heart is wicked and deceitful at the core. And then this other theology of that, you know, if you don't pray this prayer and become a Christian, you know, you're gonna burn in hell forever. Um, so you have that, and then you have the church. There's a lot of people in the church right now, major people, that have just had atrocious things come out about them. And some of them are still platformed today. I mean, just one example, because this one really baffles me to this moment. You know, John MacArthur, three stories came out a year ago that essentially in his church, there were two men on his staff uh, who ended up um, molesting their own children. And in one case, uh, one of the men is deceased. The other one is currently in prison serving a sentence for being convicted of that. And when all this was happening, the wife of that man who's in prison, her name's Eileen Gray, uh, she was excommunicated and publicly shamed by John. There's a video of this because she would not reconcile to her husband who at the time was abusing their children. 
So this all happens. The story comes out. John says nothing. And this is not like hearsay. There's emails. There's you know. There's a court case. He's convicted, etc. Uh, um, a piece comes out that John wrote to David Gray, the guy who convicted this in prison. I praise God for your prison ministry and for the trial that you're enduring. This is John MacArthur to this guy. Oh yeah, it's it is in the real sense of the word. So fucked up, right? It is hell on earth. So this guy has these stories drop. John says nothing, and the evangelical world today, many people like Costi Hinn. John's a faithful gospel preacher. Now, here's where this story gets so wild to me. I'm not sure if you know this, but this is what I do for a living, so I have to know this shit. <laughs> Alistair Begg was a conservative radio host guy, very orthodox Christian in the evangelical sense, you know, not affirming, etc. He took a phone call on his radio show. A grandmother says, Alistair, what do, what do I do? You know, my, my, my grandson is marrying a trans person. Do I go to the wedding? And Alistair essentially says, you know what? You should go. You should surprise your grandson by attending, showing them love. You know it's sinful. You know, you know it's, it's wrong. But you know, if you don't go, you're going to reinforce the stereotype that us Christians are all these things. Alistair Begg gets kicked off the radio by the syndication network that syndicates him. Absolutely. He was supposed to attend the Shepherds Conference, which is John MacArthur's conference. John MacArthur calls him and says, you know, I think this would be a distraction. You shouldn't come to the conference. John MacArthur's a guy who protected child molesters at his church. He's not the distraction to evangelicalism. Alistair Begg is the distraction for telling a grandmother to attend her queer grandson's wedding. What? <laughs> you know, so and didn't, as, and didn't so, even tell her to support it. Just no, to go. Yeah. Just go. Just, just buy, go. buy them just a go. gift. And he compared it to loving their enemy. That's how he, he phrases it. So it's, it's super problematic. But for an ultra conservative, I guess maybe it's a start. You should go to the wedding. <laughs> and the evangelical gatekeepers lit this story up. Yep. Articles written, oh, why it's so problematic. It's a, he's going down the world of wokeism. And here's John MacArthur with the most insane story ever. And this guy, people, oh, John, just a faithful gospel preacher. You know, and then he tells Alistair, you're going to be a distraction at my conference. So, you know, it's a long way to say, you know, there are all these stories consistently that come up. And for a lot of people, they are just so done. And on, for some of them, they've been on the other end of that. You know, some of the stories I have in my DMs are just, they will just make you weep. So this unholy trinity of those topics um, have created this recipe for like, I'm getting the fuck out of here, right? And I just wanna emphasize for people who don't really maybe come from that world. When you grew up in conservative evangelicals, and I call it the basement of the Christian tradition, you don't understand like how, when you grow up at age four, and you're shown a fireplace, and you're taught like, hey, if you don't pray this prayer, you're gonna end up there. It creates real mental prisons. And so for you to actually take the risk of going up the stairs, when you're told up above, it's just a desert wasteland where you're just going to be eaten alive and there's nothing, there's no hope for you. To take that risk to walk up those stairs just shows how desperate people get. Because they do, to your point, Tom and Trip, yesterday, they do lose their faith community. They do lose that sense of purpose and meaning. But they're so desperate for fresh air because they're suffocating down there. They take the risk to get above ground, which is why the work of the social media people, even though I'm not an academic at all, and we have an obligation to connect people to to your point, those people who have thought through this stuff. But the social media people who are there every day showing up, even though I have major issues with digital community, I think there's a lot of limitations, for some of these people is quite literally life-giving. Like it saved lives. Yeah. So, you know, it's a weird place to be when you're that face of something, you know, but it's a huge responsibility. Thanks, Tim. You're welcome, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so for me, experientially, 
a lot of my podcasting and stuff comes out of just my own lived experience. I used to be a pastor. I don't do that anymore. Um, I experienced, and I don't use these words lightly, spiritual, emotional, uh, verbal, and borderline physical abuse at the hands of other pastors while I was a pastor. There's some research finally starting to be done about this because a lot of the spiritual abuse kind of research is about lay people, um, and rightly so. But I think there's something particularly nefarious about somebody, um, forgive me, I'm, I cry a lot. Um, but I think there's something particularly nefarious about people trying to uh, give their life to something to help people and then getting like fucked over pretty hard. And then also being a, now living with the regret and the um, pain of perpetuating a system that has hurt people right? Because you were a part of it. Like I played a role in that mm -hmm. and it hurt me. So like a lot of my podcasting originally came out of that space. Like if you listen to earlier episodes, there's a lot of me just like middle finger to the church kind of thing. And it, it has changed and shifted over time as, um, you know, the church hurt was kind of the start. My brothers, um, so I have two brothers and so both of my brothers identify within the LGBTQ community. And like that has been another kind of source of pain for me in podcasting because like we were kicked out of churches for it, right? And um, my, uh, my brother Jordan was the one that always kind of wanted to be a pastor, not me. And then to kind of see like, I got this thing that he wanted and then like it destroyed me and also him, even though he like didn't do it, like it's weird, right? So that's another kind of, you know, to the, that's the church hurt, that's the LGBTQ gender thing we talked about last night. Um, and then I tend to live in my head a lot as well. So the, um, this is where like the nerdy Josh stuff comes out. This is how I found the work of someone like Tom and like Trip, um, where the problem of evil, like I was wrestling with, okay, I tried the whole church thing. I tried to help people and only got burned for it. This God that you're talking about really doesn't match my lived experience, right? And I think this is something um, that a lot of listeners of Rethinking Faith have, have talked to me about is this, the understanding and the image of the divine that we were told isn't aligning with my lived experience, not just in the sense of like, you know, the embrace of someone like Donald Trump, like you were talking about, but also just an everyday lived reality, right? Where, you know, you grow up being told like, oh, the, you know, gay people are evil. And then you like meet a gay person and you're like, wait a minute, what? Like you're the person <laughs> I was supposed to be afraid of? Um, or like, you know, insert whoever, like your Muslim neighbor, the atheist neighbor down the street, whoever it is. So that lived experience creates a tension the, and, the, and the problem of evil bit really got into it for me, which is why I found solstice and process relational thinking, um, because I don't want a God that generates these things that happen to me, or that generates the things that happen to my listeners, or that stood by and just kind of let it happen, because at least you have free will now. Well, I, I know that my personal um, inspiration, the thing that really lit the fuse for my deconstruction was hell. And, um, you know, coming out of that were a lot of more kind of tangible social issues of like what that means for 
interacting with people of other religions, what that means for interacting with people who are gay or queer, and, you know, and um, or you know people who are atheists. You know how you know how we regard all of those through the lens of at least what my understanding was of the gospel at the time. But it started with this whole deal of like, wait a minute, we've got you know eternal conscious punishment, and we've got a God who's so mad that their sense of justice overcomes their sense of love and in order to fix that they have to embody themselves and kill themselves to please themselves to i had to i had to stop right there like no this isn't going to work and so you know my one of my hopes is to be able to break apart the bible a little (coughs) bit for people sort of assuming that they already know what it says and say well look at these passages look at the original translations look at the um you know, look at the context. Um, but in reality, I think our um, the arc of our podcast ends up more following the news. You know, I think I, I try to push it into these kind of deeper theological places, but sometimes we'll just open up relig- religion news service and go through and be like, can you believe what's going on here? You know, can you believe, you know, this you know, the transgender legislation that's going on in this state? Or can you believe, um, you know, that this... Religious organization is telling yeah. Yeah, grandma that she can't go to her <laughs> yes. grandson's um, wedding. And we end up following just kind of like current events. And I, and I think that's probably more meeting our listeners where they are, that it's more in contemporary issues rather than our own personal fascinations. Thank you for saying that, Kelly. So, you know, we do, he and I work well together, which, you know, Josh had mentioned, you know, early on having a, a co-creator and, and it didn't go so well, right? Right. Yeah, I've been through three. I don't know. Wow. I think maybe it's my, you know, <laughs> 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 Nah, nah, it's the others. It but, you know, Kelly and I are really fortunate and we don't, we, it's not so much that we agree to disagree, but his point, what he said, he is biblically super smart and I am biblically ignorant because I was away and out of church for decades, right? And I now look at the Bible as um, my, my thought about it has evolved to looking at it as a history book. And, and I can embrace it like that. And I can, I can love it for the stories, knowing that they are the stories of our ancestors in times past and how they related to their world at that particular time and how they, how they experienced the, the divine. And it, when I take it in that context, it it frees me up not to get bogged down in all that stuff. And then I happen to also kind of get along with the story about this dude named Jesus and some of the shit that he did, right? And I, one of which is I love that he was a badass, right? He was, you know, he, he called people out on their shit and it got him killed. And, and that's not my goal. I don't want to be exactly <laughs> like that. Flip over this table. <laughs> exactly. But I, I do want to flip over a table. I do want to do that shit. And so I think about the kind of people that we bring in and who our our, our listeners are going to be, I want them to hear those stories from people, both of their lived experience, but also the theologians and the thought leaders, and allow that then to, again, I I said it before, but give those folks an opportunity to hear some thoughts that are not constrained within an institution. Yes, I'm still a part of the Episcopal tradition in the institution. I love the, the smells and the bells and the liturgy. It, it works for me, but I also, the one that, as somebody who I consider a friend, and somebody's been on her show, everybody knows Alicia Crosby Mack, right? She's, she is awesome. Let's just say she's awesome and leave it at that. And you go check her out. 
But she uses a phrase that I've now taken on too. I'm spiritually promiscuous. I am poly theological or whatever like that. So, and I'm, I'm, you know, uh, I'm intellectually curious and I'm spiritually curious. So I want to hear from others and I feel like our listeners want to hear the same like that. And then they pick out of that and what resonates with them, that's great. And what, what doesn't, they can leave behind as well. It's not coming as a, as it one package and like, here, you have to take this and, and believe it. So that's how it works. And it allows them, you know, if they're deconstructing, I personally don't use the word God, but not because I don't, it's just that that's a very triggering word for three letters. You know, it messes with a lot of people. So I choose to avoid using that. And I instead talk with the word like divine and try to make it a little bit more open and expansive in our conversations. You've all had very different yet contentious experiences with congregational life. Uh, Tim didn't mention that his Instagram, they would no longer let him be a volunteer drummer at church. There's that. Which, you know how much you have to be scared of something to get rid of a volunteer musician? Like, yeah, I'm like, wow, that's dangerous. Like, you know. um, but like thinking of the, the, the people you're connected to, if you were giving like maybe a question for communities of faith to assess whether or not they can genuinely make space should the people you're connected with show up. What kind of question should communities be asking if they want to end up being a potential blessing for those in process of sorts? I would want to lean on some of the language around like deep religious pluralism that talks about are we creating a space that is open to mutual transformative conversation. One where I don't think that I'm the one with the answers and you're coming to me to get those, but rather mm -hmm. when people come into our, our congregation, into our space, into our community, is that community now somehow genuinely different because that person is present and apart? So it's like kind of like the difference between inviting somebody to homecoming, right? and then actually inviting them to dance. And so are we creating a space where when people come in, they're actually allowed to dance with us? Yeah. That their presence here changes our community. It is now somehow different um, because they're a part of it. Mm -hmm. And so that's the kind of question I would want to ask is just like, are we actually open to that? Are we actually open to being challenged? Are we open to being transformed um, and to allowing, you know, uh, differences to come in and, and be celebrated and then not just like you know codified into like one thing yeah, yeah. wow that's great Josh um, terrible dancers it's not to point how well it's that yes <laughs> right yeah so for me the question that I want asked is do you feel your own innate divinity mm. do you connect with it right we're born as divine souls I believe that in at my most subatomic level. We are all connected in that. I have the gift of that ability to feel that oneness, so that, that, that total universal oneness that, that I'm blessed with in moments. And, and I want to share, see that shared because it's all there, that, that, that connection. And that, but that only comes through, recognize your own internal divinity. And that unfortunately is taken from us. It's robbed from us. I was born divine. I was, I knew that as a kid and it was taken away from me. Now, not by my parents or anything else, but it was by institution and words. 
So the question I want our listeners to ask and what we ask ourselves is, are we bringing the divine into this conversation to where they can see it and then they can feel it themselves and, and touch their own divinity? I think for, for me, the, the question revolves around, are we as a community willing to allow God to be the judge? You know, I grew up in communities where there was a lot of like, hate the sin, love the sinner. And part of that is built in this assumption that we as Christians, we as people of faith, need to police one another and that somehow we're helping or loving our neighbor by steering them to yeah. the right faith. And, and I think that, that that part is unnecessary. And I want to be in a community where we do the love part and we leave the judging part up to God. And I've, I've seen this as an example in uh, my, my family that, uh, you know, religion is a really big part of our family and we debate scripture a lot, you know, and the, you know, so doctrine and dogma and creed does become um, important. But in action, I've seen a lot of my family members support people, befriend people, um, celebrate people <clears throat> who I know their pastors are telling them over the pulpit to judge and reject. And just seeing that, seeing that, you know, sometimes I see people whose love overcomes the teaching that they're taught every Sunday. And that's what I want to see more of is people like out there going like, I'm going to love you. And, you know, if God wants to deal with you in some way, that's fine. I'm going to do my part, which is the love part. So my closing thought on this is that if you are a former white evangelical, I believe as an act of repentance, you owe it to yourself to be all in, to resist and to expose all of this because we helped make it to your point earlier. You know, mm -hmm. while I was not that extreme, I was certainly in that world on that path if I didn't pivot in 2016, yeah. right? And so I think that white evangelicals who resist this stuff have an extra obligation. It should not be on the black community, on the queer community. It should be on those groups to fight this because it's they're the ones who are under the boot of that. It should be the privileged ones who are using their privilege for good to say, absolutely fucking not, this is not gonna fly. And so people like me can go to those spaces. I'm not worried about my safety because I am what I call Theo bro passing. You know, I can, I can, I can speak the language. I look like one of them. I have the beard sometimes, you know? And so people like me have an obligation to be in those spaces to understand what's going on and to expose it online and say, this is really problematic. We have to get in the political process, um, you know, and whether we like it or not, this is the world we live in. Biden has problems. The genocide, what's happening in Gaza is really problematic. And I'm really disappointed with, with, with the administration there. I get that. But at the same time, like, I really do believe that in 2024, and I try not, not to be hyperbolic because I grew up on talk radio where this guy was always, always, fall, fall, you know, always falling. But I do believe that, like, democracy is truly under, on the line in maybe the most intense ways, at least in my generation's history, you know, when it comes to the democratic process. So, that's right about that. Well, that's the most exciting, energetic, inviting <laughs> conclusion. Of course, I'm so happy now. Nothing so sends go to church you off online. to enjoy lunch quite like that. Um, but, uh, yeah, join me in thanking them all for sharing. And make sure you uh, find their podcast if you're new to it or find someone around to go have lunch and such with. Awesome. Thank you. Awesome. Thank well done, you. Guys. Likewise. Thank you. Uh, that, that was, was a, that was cool. Good way to close on too.
So Kelly, that was a great conversation. And folks, I hope you found something of value inside that conversation with uh, Tim, Josh, Kelly, and myself, along with Tripp, who was our moderators. If there's any questions or feedback you would like to uh, share with us or anything, you know, you can always reach out to us uh, individually. Go to our website. You can find that information. Or of course, you can uh, reach out directly to us through the website or through our new Facebook community as well. So Kelly, any uh, parting thoughts? Well, I would just, I would love to um, hear from listeners about their reactions to this conversation um, and also what they look for in a podcast and in a community like this. Uh, so again, I invite people to uh, join our um, our Facebook community, Radical Love Live, the, the group on Facebook. Or um, you know to email us or find us on social, uh, just to you know find out what it is that they're looking for, what kind of topics they would like to yeah. hear about, what kind of questions they have, because it really ultimately this isn't just about you and I talking about the things that we're interested in. Although I love that part, but to we be do able it for a reason as well to bring people into the conversation as well. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. So anyway, everybody, thank you for listening, and uh, we look forward to hearing from you online and uh, connecting with you next week. Take care, everybody. Thanks for listening to this episode of Radical Love Live, co-hosted by Mark Delcom and Kelly Wilson. All rights reserved. You can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, and other popular podcast platforms. Go to RadicalLoveLive.com to learn more about us, watch recordings of our live events, and listen to our podcast. We also invite you to check out what Kelly and Mark are doing by going to our websites. Find Kelly at kellywilson.com and Mark at markdilcom.com. This is Radical Love Live, where we explore faith outside the boxes. <laughs>